Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. afternoon, good morning, good evening, good day. From wherever you're listening, this is Dr. Lulu. Buenas tardes, it's good afternoon. Buenos dias, it's good morning. How is everyone doing? Welcome to another episode of Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a phenomenal lady. I don't even know her that much, but you know, you can feel people when you meet them, that the energy and the spirit and the vibes are just gelling. This is one of them. This lady has been phenomenal already with my brand new podcast, just been an excellent help already. And we haven't even started yet. I can't even thank her enough. I want you all to join me in thanking her for what she's going to do in the future, for what she's doing currently, for what she's done in the past to help the people, the youth, the voiceless. Her name is Miss Sharon K. Edwards, <clears throat> excuse me. And she's already helped me with my podcast more than I can even put in words. Miss Sharon K. Edwards, welcome and thank you, my sister. Thank you, my soul sister, for doing this for me this morning. You can see her. I can see her, um, ladies and gentlemen. And she is absolutely beautiful. She's got the most beautiful hair. We hopefully can talk about that later because, you know, a woman's hair is her crown all day, especially when she's a phenomenal black woman. Y'all, put your hands together for Miss Sharon K. Edwards. Miss Edwards in, introduced herself as a wife of a veteran, an army veteran, a mom, a grandmother. That tells you where she lays her heart, doesn't it? And oh, by the way, she happens to be a three-time author. Like that's a small achievement, right? And oh, by the way, she also is an advocate for youth and those who need a voice. It doesn't get any better than that. You know, I could say that that could be my own bio, except that I'm not a grandmother. She's an executive director and a visionary of the I Am Invisible movement because she felt she was invisible once upon a time and needed to speak up. Isn't that what we talk about when it comes to bullying and depression and mental illness? We all feel like we're walking alone. You know what? But the podcast is not about me. It's about Miss Edwards. So let's have Miss Edwards. Welcome, ma'am, and thank you so much for being here. So take it away. It's all yours. Well, thank you for the opportunity because it's just one of those things that I live, I sleep, I breathe, I want to get the word out. Thank you for being able to allowing me to be on the podcast because it's all about 
getting the word out. That's right. That's right. So she has multiple levels like we all do. She's multifaceted, multi-talented. We're going to try to tap into one of these many, many phases of her life for page one of her story because she's going to come back again and again and again yeah. because there's yeah. so much harvest in the fields and like 10 laborers working. So few of us working. And so she's going to come back multiple times. I'm volunteering her. She hasn't even said yes, but I'm saying she's going yes. to, because you know what, speak it out into existence and it's going to happen. So Miss yeah. Sharon K. Edwards, do you want to tell us where do you want to start your story? Where do you want to start? Well, I think I want to start at the very beginning. And for me, as far as I can remember, as a child, my beginning started for me probably about five years old when I went to first grade, uh, because I went um, pretty early in my first grade, I skipped kindergarten, went straight to first grade. But I can remember feeling this passion, even as a little girl, for kids. And I never understood it. My mom told me that as a child, I had a little miniature outside school with the younger kids. And I was always a nurturer. And when I went to school, I remember the first thing that I saw, we used to get in a little circle. And I, I don't know if you know this little game called uh, Little Sally Walker sitting in a saucer. And I can remember all the kids was around this one little girl. And she seemed frightened because if you know how the game goes, she goes in the middle. Somebody puts it in the middle. Um, well, at that time, I didn't know the child at that time. I don't like to say special needs, but Back then, that was another word. I don't like to label children and, or anyone, but she could not speak. And she, I didn't know she was deaf at the moment, but she was frightened. She was in a circle. And me being the smallest one, saw her anger, and her, not so much anger, but her fear. And I remember being as small as I am, running into the circle. And this girl was a giant to me because she was so tall and grabbing her and going, pushing my way to break the circle because they had the hands and taking her to a teacher and saying, I don't know what's wrong with her, but she's crying and the, kid, and the kids were laughing. So to me, that was my first actual remembrance of me wanting to reach out and help someone that I felt felt frightened. And that was at five. Um, my story of depression actually started when I was seven. I lost my oldest brother. And there's such a gap in my family. I'm the baby. So they were already older. I was like 10 years apart from everybody. And my oldest brother had left and went, to, went away and came home for Christmas. And that year was very icy outside. And my mom, you know, we were all happy he was home. But Around January the 1st, we noticed that the weather was bad. And my mother said, don't go, uh, catch the bus. But he kept being persistent and said, I got to go back to Chicago. I got to go to work. He was one of those uh, independent young men, but a jolly. And of course, me being the baby, I always got what I wanted. So this was my trick. If I fall on the floor and kick and holler and say, don't go, he won't go. Because everything that I wanted, I was able to get from him. But for some reason that morning, he wanted to go. And I felt, wow. So as he drove away, I'm so small and I'm waving at the car. And about four hours later, my mom got a call that he got killed in an accident. 
And that was the day that they picked me up because he, he left on the first, I believe. And back then we went back to school from Christmas break on January the 2nd or 3rd, I believe, 2nd or 3rd. He got killed on the day that I returned back to school, my brother and I got. So we knew something was wrong when my mother didn't pick me up from school. And my neighbor came and we were like, what is going on? My brother looking at me, that was my baby brother. We were five years apart and we're holding hands in the backseat because we know something is wrong. I walk in the house and I hear a sound like a moan, a groan from the gut. And it was my mom mm. and she was screaming and hollering and saying, my son, my son. And I knew it then. I and my brother went over in a corner. And we just held each other mm. because we were our only, we were the only, we were just there for each other. Then they began to sedate my mom every day. Back then they had like where the doctors would bring the bag to the house and they would yeah. shoot. Yes. And they gave her a shot. And I, me, I didn't know what sedating was. I just know every time the doctor came, she would go to sleep. But sometimes the medication would wear off and she would wake up and she would wake up with that piercing just piercing, growling, like a scream that a child should never hear. Mm -hmm. It was agony as I remember now. But everybody was around my mom's bed. My brother, he still he was five years older, so he was about 12. So he kind of could go outside and play. And But me as being seven, my mom didn't just let me wonder the street you know i kind of had to be within her sight well by her being asleep all the time i either sat by her bed or watched tv and i was there when she woke up no one realized the pain that i felt because i could hear the sound from her voice and i was seven years old you were absorbing all of that uh, so every bit of that pain from my mom's pain oh my was like god. hitting me in my chest oh my god so no one really realized, and as I got older, I did not, myself didn't realize that I was absorbing as much as I could. So fast forwarding, we buried my brother, but from October was the time my mom, at that time, I didn't know what depression was. Mm. I didn't know anything. So my mom would start crying from October to February. So I did not like Halloween. I didn't do it anyway, but I'm just saying, you know, all the kids were joyous with the mask and stuff. And I was, cause my mom had started crying. November was my birthday. I hated Thanksgiving. I hated mm. my birthday. Christmas, oh my God, she cried even more. I don't fault my mom, but that was her way of coping. No one knew it. It didn't have a name. Mm. Back then they just said she was just sick. They never told me a name. So growing up, those were the time and New Year's I hated. Any from October to January. So as I grew up, when I went to school every day, my nickname was Crybaby. Well, the reason my nickname was Crybaby because that's all I heard. It's times that I would walk in my house, and I'm not, and I don't want um, anyone to think it was my mom's fault. It was just the agony and during the time I, I'm 59 now. During that time, it was a stigma on mental health. It was a is. It's, yeah, it is. It, it absolutely. It was back then. We didn't even know a name. We didn't know anything. So 
I'm not faulting my mom. I'm just giving the story. So as I grew up, I went to school and I cried and I cried. And because I'm, I was very small, I'm still only five feet. Everybody kind of, because I was so tiny and I was this girl that had this long wavy hair and my ponytails came about here. And for some reason, they laughed at my ponytails. So my hair, insecurity began to set in about the way I look. I got a gap. I still got it. I still got my hair. And I had a cowlick, like my father right here. Oh, wow. And I wanted to part my hair. So you really I'm sorry, you really did stand out. You stood out in many ways. And that yes. is one of the things that the bully looks for. The thing right. that makes you stand out, which they're jealous of. Now we right. know it's jealousy. But right. they, to tease you, you had beautiful yes. gap, which I'm keeping. I'm not doing anything <laughs> like that. Me too. I and won't close it. Yeah. I'm well, I, I had mine partially closed, but I told the dentist, I said, whatever you do, do not fully close it. That's, right. that's my identity. Everyone knows yes. the gap. Wow. Yes. And that's my daddy's identity was the gap. So Amen. I wanted a part of my daddy. Um, and then I was called Herman the Monster because a cowlick is that V that's in the I front. I cowlick. So, so what people would say, and I mean, all this alone with the crying, alone with feeling alone, it was at a young age, I just wanted to disappear. And at that time, I can't say it was suicide because maybe I didn't even know what the word suicide was at seven, but I just wanted to just disappear. Well, I didn't really have a lot of friends then because you got to remember I was only seven. My brother was my best friend. that was five years, but he was already in school and I was already in elementary school and he was already going to middle. My other siblings were in college or going to college. So what I would do, and this is probably something I never even mentioned to anybody, the little girl in the mirror. And I did, that was myself. But at that time, as a young girl, I would talk to her and I would tell her, you know, I'm sad today. And she would look at me. I knew I did not really understand the mirror because at seven, I just knew it was person looked similar to me. Or maybe <laughs> that is but, a wonderful story. That is amazing. I could see your book being titled The Little Girl in the Mirror. That is the next book that I'm writing. I can see that. <laughs> that is a, you got my title already. Amen. And when I was sad and I would cry and I say, are you crying too? Oh my and, God. You know, it was something. So it was, I, I gave her a name. I used to call her Alice because that was my That mom. is profound. That is, you got me having goosebumps. That is <laughs> profound. The innocence of you not knowing who she was. She just happened to look like me. Okay, we're just going to hang out together. Yes. And everything I tell her, she does. And she does. Everything I do, she does or whatever. Yeah. I'm crying and I, she's crying. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Because she we're really cool. gets we're me. Together. She gets me. Yes, we're together. And, you know, as I grew up and grew up and I still cried, I think I cried from, and she cried and I cried. Then I tell her, let me go get some tissues. She run and we both come back. Same times. And I thought, something is a little fishy. But I, I grew up and realized it was me. I kind of knew it, but I just needed a friend. So as I grew up, I went to uh, elementary school and I began to want to feel, I was in the hole, but I wanted to be a part of something. I wanted to feel like somebody, even though I knew my parents and I knew my brother that was five years younger than myself loved me, but I wanted to belong. 
So I started kind of hanging with girls that my mom disapproved of, but I would sneak and be with them because they were the ones that seemed to like me more. Well, as I got in deeper in, I realized they were gang members. And I didn't want to be in a gang because I was so doggone little and I knew I couldn't fight everybody. But these girls were kind of uh, pretty mean. They carried can't get, uh, brass nuts and this and that. But one thing that these girls, my mom, even though she was depressed and whatever, when she was not depressed, she held a high standard in the community because they respected her. So these girls knew that my mom was one that didn't play. So they would tell me, look, you can be in the game, but just don't let your mama know. That's and right. We, <laughs> you can't be everywhere we go. You got to be home for dark. So I was. Cause we like, don't, you know what? We're gang, we're gangsters and we bad <laughs> on all that, but we don't want your mama's, we don't want your mama's trouble. <laughs> yes. So I was kind of honorary gang member. It I was like that. Hilarious. It was hilarious. So fast forward, now I'm in the eighth grade. I'm part of the gang and believe it or not, what they called, we called ourselves, we wore band-aids on our faces and we were called the band-aid gang. Don't ask me why. Oh my but there was God. also a boy gang and a girl gang. And it was just, it, they were really bad. I was bad, but they were really bad. Meaning that I knew, but I knew my limitations. And one day I was sitting down and since that time, well, I have to I have to tell you about that later. That's part four. That's anyway, part four. I love that. Y'all heard it. <laughs> said it. That's part four. I love it. <laughs> but I remember one time going into the principal's office and we had the band-aids on. And the girls had the brass knuckles with them. And the principal was coming. And he and they had that me. I was standing by the window. The brass, because they didn't want to get suspended. Dumb little me could have gone to jail or gotten suspended and the principal knew my mom they knew my brother i took the stuff thank god i had a bag so i never got caught but the more that i try to teach kids some that sometimes we get in other words we, i was in the wrong place at the wrong time because here i am grabbing something that i had nothing to do with to protect someone that really didn't care about me because what if i'd have got caught they wanted to get you in trouble that's right yes so I learned from that, but I still didn't learn enough. I went, start, I began to do athletics and I was a trackster, sang in the choir, didn't. But then I started looking in the mirror again. I found that girl again. But what I saw was a big fat girl and I didn't like myself. So I began to have an eating disorder. Now I was not fat. I was probably 89 pounds. I, I, but in my eyesight, I saw a big girl. Um, and I said to myself, one thing that I can control, did not know that was, I was already depressed all these years, didn't know that to now, was my appetite. So if my mama say I can't do something, then you know what? And I had, my mother was very strict because my brother got killed. She didn't hardly want me to go anywhere. I was in the 12th grade, sometimes I had to be in for dark. I'm like, mama, please. Can I do something? Else? But she became overprotective 
for her children because she thought she could stop us from getting in car accidents. We couldn't. I, I didn't I, drive till I was twenty-three. I would Fear. not her for that. I would not. I, I completely understand. I yes. Anyone? Anyone? Yes. Yes. So as I I begin to control myself with that appetite, I, I just and and I never um, threw up or anything. I just stopped eating. Just stopped eating. Got down to. I was so. I have pictures of myself where I have this big head and this little body. It don't even look like it belongs to me. But then I met my husband, of course. I met him in high school. And now I look back. We got married at 18. We dated from 15 to 18. And we became pregnant and we decided to go into the military and we decided to get married. Ladies and gentlemen, I know, I know I, I, I'm going to interrupt for a minute. I know you can't see this, but I met her husband this morning. Talk about soulmates, okay? He not only helped her set up the Zoom, but also got her water. I mean, you could tell the energy that they are best friends. She didn't, yeah. she didn't pay me to say that. But sometimes <laughs> the little things, the Spanish would say, son las cosas pequeñas. I noticed that right quick. She had no trouble calling him into the picture and he had no problem saying hello. That is a man that's very comfortable in his own skin and comfortable being the wind beneath her wings. You could tell. You could tell. And she didn't pay me, she didn't pay me to say that. No. <laughs> I had to throw that in because a black male doing things like that for another black female, honey, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, we, we got married, but all that stuff that I carried from being seven ended up, it never stopped because it was never addressed. The eating disorder. The, I never... I never felt comfortable with myself. I, I felt inferior. I felt because I went straight from high school to being married, I didn't get to go to college right off, that I, you know, I had the baby. I was, a, uh, I was Ellery's wife and I was nobody, but that dark hole began to come back. It never left, but I tried to fill that void with singing and, and running track and, and doing everything to fill that void. Fast forwarding, um, we got married, we had the, uh, my, my son, and then we had another daughter. And then I begin to feel, people said, well, maybe it's postpartum. I start feeling gloomy. And, I was and, almost going to say that it might have been postpartum, but it didn't help postpartum or yeah. not. It's like postpartum is like you just come and open the big wound that's already just yes. trying to barely heal. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, so at 23, I had my daughter. So right after then, I thought, okay, got my daughter, got my son. I'm going to go back to school. I'm good. I'm good. Then right about 25, I started seeing things totally different. Yes, being married, I thought my husband was going to save me. See, that's one thing that we have. Nobody can save you from this depression. Nobody can save you. And you can't save anybody else. I thought I was going to marry this man and everything that I wanted to get rid of, the depression, the crime, the insecurities, the eating disorder, he was going to come and take it away. Well, he did. And he tried. But sometimes he had his own issues. And we all have our own issues. So as we were married, then I started, and I'm being very blunt. I'm not going to just uh, give a full raw thing, but I started seeing things and kind of doing things I should not have been doing as a married lady. lady. So you can figure that out for yourself. 
because the, the insecurities start coming in. I felt I wasn't good enough. I felt uh, he was gone all the time. And, you, you know, just life. Yeah, just, and so then I really went into a deeper hole because I was like, look, then he became a pastor. And as he became a pastor, people expected me here. I'm seeing people going through depression because I had this smile. And another one of the books I'll be writing about is the, the pain underneath the smile. I have this vibrant smile. Deep. That's deep. <laughs> that I could put on. I had that facade. I had that mask that they would have never, ever thought that pastor's wife or we were having problems or we were doing this because we hit it. I hit it. But one day it came to, in, when we were in Vincenza, Italy, I was about 33 years old. The whole, everything fell down. I went to the doctor because I started back losing weight. Wasn't trying to lose weight. Just, just one week I weighed one 20, next week I weigh 110. And so first thing the, the doctor said was, you may have cancer or something. Yes, because it was the, you know, all the other stuff. It was kind of in the hard palpitations and, and all this, because they say you can't lose weight that quick. And that about Without something. I know. Yes. So they, I was hospitalized 13 times. And the more I went to the hospital, the worse I felt, I could not, all the food would come up, all the food. Then they said, ma'am, you're in Vincenza, Italy, and we can't help you. We're going to send you to Walter Reed in Washington, D.C. Go, so Walter Reed, Washington, D.C., yes, baby. Yes. I go <laughs> Georgia <there>. Avenue. <laughs> yes. And I had to leave my children behind. And I was like, how can I leave my children in Italy? And I'm, but they would not let, I had to be medically bad. I went there and I first met my first um, therapist. I did, I still, they did all the tests. Then they ruled out everything. They put the heart, uh, heart machine, did all the blood work. They did everything to make sure it wasn't physical. Then they began to talk mental. And I'm looking at them like, you don't know me. I am a black woman. I'm a black woman. I knew oh, black I was raised. We don't yeah. get mentally ill. We don't get mentally ill. No, I'm a pastor's wife. I've been a pastor's wife. I've been a system pastor's wife. Not me. I'm not the one. And the therapist starts saying stuff like, because you got to realize, I begin to, as you become an adult, if you don't deal with the things when you were younger, you block it out. Really, I had blocked out my brother's death. I had blocked out the eating disorder. I had blocked out the gang. I had blocked it all out. And the bullying. So, and the bullying and ostracization yeah. that led you to join the gang because yeah. that's that's the only people that would accept you. That's ostracization yes. big time because yes. your hair was too pretty, your gap yes. was too beautiful, you were too, you know, it's like Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the therapist began to talk to me, and I was like, really, and in my mind, I was like, look, girl, you got the problem. I could I could just look at you and tell you got issues too. But she was so amazing because she opened up to uh, me about herself and how she had to get help. And I'm like, not a doctor. She said, yes. Yes. Yeah. She said, I have to have therapy sometime as well. And a little bit of medication. I said, not medication. Because I'm a pastor's wife. I love it. I love I, it. I said, no, not me. 
And as I began to go back and tears began to come down, and the first time I really cried about my brother, I cried at the funeral, but I was a kid. So I did, but all that started coming down and I began to see my patterns of feeling insecure, all the name calling that was called when I was a child, the insecurities, it started to bubble up. I did not realize, so this is hilarious. You wanna hear a little bit of humor? They told me, say, well, we're gonna take you off of this floor and we're gonna put you on the fifth floor. I said, who's on the fifth floor? And so I go through this door and the door closes on me. And it has this sign, you cannot be going, you're not able to go out, something, you can't just get out of there. You have to be assisted, so I'm thinking, they didn't tell me that was a psychiatric ward, okay? They did not. So I go in there, and the first thing I see, because you know there's a lot of veterans in there, is I see this man, and he's fighting this plane, and I'm going, there's not a plane in here. Then I figured out where I was going at. And I told my husband, I looked at my husband, and I stayed there for like a half of a minute. They sit me down. And I remember my husband, and you, you can really say, my husband has been my rock. We had our moments, trust me. But I asked him, can I sit in his lap? And he began to rock me like a baby. And I said, I don't have a heartbeat. And he looked at me. I said, I have no heartbeat. And he said, what do you mean? I said, it's a heartbeat here, but it's not a heartbeat there. I meant my soul had no heart. Oh I felt god. that I was so down in that hole. Oh my god! I, I want to hug you right now. Oh my god! <laughs> this is just—I have never told some of this story, so it's all coming out. I'm so happy to be a vessel. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> this is so profound. I stopped writing because it's like I can't put all—I can't put it all down on my page. It's just. Like, which one, where do I, oh my God. Yes, mm. and when he hugged me, and, I, and, and that very moment that he hugged me and I spoke it out, I have no heartbeat, was the beginning of my healing because I realized there was something wrong. And I, all this time I had said, not me, but I asked the doctor, this is what I asked the doctor, I said, I cannot be separated from my children and get well. I cannot stay a while to read my children, which I had a great girlfriend that took care of my children, which I would never forget. She's in uh, Texas as well. I'm coming out to visit you. We're going to. We have to meet. I know where you're going and I don't want to take the story from you, but remember one of my commandments yesterday? You can. Yes. Okay. I knew you're going there. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I, I didn't, I, I, when you said that, I just went out. But anyway, I said, I cannot get well without having my children with me. The doctor looked at me and he said, I cannot give you a compassionate reassignment. I don't have anywhere for you to go at the moment. I looked at him and remember, I was already at Fort Campbell before and I didn't want to come back here. And he said, he came back and he said, I have two assignments now. In my heart, I knew it was Fort Campbell. He said, I have four Gordon and Fort Campbell, but Fort Campbell can take you. I did not want to return here. There was bad stuff I felt, because that was my, where my husband was a pastor. I didn't want to come back over here. Because you are human. You are human. Yes. Okay. I, but I wanted to not, I wanted to, do, uh, but anyway, 
he gave me a compassionate assignment and he came back with the cards. When I came back, that's when all the healing, because I had left stuff that was left back here some years ago that I had to come back and redo and see it in a different light. It wasn't a place. Sometimes people think, oh, I'm depressed in that state. I'm No, it's sometimes the things that you've done in that it, area. It follows you. It follows you. I had yes. a guest that said she left Scotland and moved to Australia. And then she yes. was surprised when she got to customs. All yes. of her things were there. It was there. The it, was, it was there. It followed me to Italy. I just knew, okay, I'm going to go overseas. That that I went through as a child is going to be back there. When I get there, I'm like, where'd you come from? I left you over behind the water. I'm over here. So all that, and then I get with my, uh, we come here, and that's my healing was at the place that I did not want to be at. Here I was able to see open up and be real and tell people my story. Tell them it's okay to admit that we're not as strong as people see us. It's okay if we have mental illness in our families. Kids suffer when tragedies happen, when divorces happen, when there's deaths. We just all want to crowd around the, the adults, but kids actually hurt too. So my message at that time, I was like, I got to say something. I was voiceless. I, I, I talked to the little girl in the mirror. Um, she didn't even have a voice to talk back because I was doing all the talking. But I guess it all came full circle was in, I can't, um, it was in 2011. I heard of a story. Now, all this time, you got to remember, I was in a dark hole. And then I began to come out. The only way I had to come out of the hole for me, not this is not for everybody, was I had to first admit, second, seek help, both naturally, spiritually, emotionally, everything had to be taken care of. It's not just one process. It was not, I had to exercise. I had to get right. I had to, a lot of things I had to do for myself. And I had to love me. That was the first thing was the love and accept me. And after that happened, a little girl in 2011, I didn't first say, like some people say, were you suicidal? I can't remember if I was suicidal, but I know I was in a hole. And I remember being in that hole that was so deep that I tried to come up. And every time I tried to come out of that hole, it was like this foot and I could never explain to my husband. I said, that's why I had no heartbeat because I couldn't overcome this foot. I couldn't understand why this foot, I would be climbing, 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 and this foot would push me back down. So maybe that was a form of suicide or I can't not, because I never really addressed that issue. Maybe that's something part five I would know about. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it. It's getting better and better. I love it. <laughs> But when I heard of this young girl, and I want to say the young girl, she was in a neighboring state. I live in Tennessee, and this was in uh, Kentucky, committed suicide. And my mind began to think, why would a 11, I mean, a, a young girl so young, I think she was 12, it was in 2011, so I think she was 12 or 13. Why would someone that age that should be playing with Barbie dolls, and I'm just thinking, maybe not doing but 
just enjoying life, going to the mall, uh, whatever. When I found out she was being bullied, then all that that I look back at at seven began to rush me again. And I realized this was part of my purpose because I got angry a little bit because I wanted to go beat the kids up because I know what it feels like when nobody hears you. So I just felt, what can I do for this? Didn't know the child, didn't have to know her, but I felt her, I felt her parents and I felt her. So in 2012, I wanted to do something, military wife, no money other than family money you know what i mean no extra money to be putting out for a program didn't even know how to start a program didn't even what non-profit what nothing i just said i gotta do something something so i had a, a girlfriend christy collins she was beyonce's backup i met her through another girlfriend and I just called, I said, I need a concert. I need you to come in. I know you got a name and people gonna come and we're gonna get these kids involved and I wanna do something. So in 2012, we launched our first benefit to bring the awareness. It wasn't about making the money because some of the people didn't even know that children were committing suicide. They didn't even think my story was like, are you kidding? You suffered depression at seven? Why would you be depressed? You should, like I thought, you should be playing with Barbie dolls. No, I just had a traumatic incident. And, and people don't realize PTSD, when we say PTSD, a lot of people think military. For years, I thought military. But that was a traumatic thing that happened in my life at seven that took me all the way to 33. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't, I, I'm short of words. Thank you, Sharon. I like the fact that you painted the picture from when you were young and you brought us up to 2012. And for those of you who don't know, in 2012, she got her calling. But look at the irony of it. 2012 was after 2011 when the young girl died by suicide. Sometimes when people pay the ultimate sacrifice, I almost want to thank God in a sense that the little girl did what she did in the sense that it, it lit a spark in Sharon miles away. She's not even her mother. And please, please, please don't misunderstand me. It's never, ever good. The reason I'm doing this work is because I lost a patient who was 15 to suicide and I had a seven-year-old who tried to hang himself. So it's not good in that sense, but please hear me when I say sometimes it takes a tragedy to wake us up. And that's what I'm trying to say. Miss Edwards, there's no question in my mind. We're going to get part, to part 10. We're going to get to page 10. You're going to come back again and again and again, because even the stories that you've told us, we got to go back to some of them because I try to let you speak. And you know, whenever I start these things, I'm like, well, what am I going to say? Well, once you start, you get into the, you get into the hang of things and you just keep going. She dropped all kinds of nuggets. I can't even summarize the quotes. Usually I want to get one or two quotes. I wrote like 10 quotes and I stopped. I'm just going to put them in the show notes. Where can the people find you? We've got two minutes on the clock. Okay. Just because I don't want to end this episode without them knowing where to find you. You've got a beautiful yeah. message. 
real quick, where, where can they find you? And then we'll come back and again and again and again, however okay. number of times. I want okay. the podcast to last forever by the grace of God. So it's indefinite. Yeah. Yes. One, one quote that I know I'm going to mention because I have to is, I just wanted to disappear. She said that to herself at the age of seven to avoid the agony of the loss, she said. Amazing. She felt invisible because she was bullied beyond. So people, I'm going to let her tell us real quick where we can find her and then we'll come back. We just have to come back. Okay. You can find me, Sharon, K-A-Y-E, Edwards on Facebook. You can find us at www.iaminvisiblebullying.org. Or you can go on Google and just put Sharon K. Edwards, the website comes up and you will see plenty of stories from kids, adults, and everything on there. All right. Well, you know, every good thing has to come to an end. I mean, what are you going to do, you know? So today's good thing is going to come to an end, but only temporarily because we're going to come back. Thank you so much, Ms. Edwards. Thank you for your heart, for your soul, for your message, for your passion. Isn't that what this is all about? For everything that you represent, for all the pain that you went through. Even Jesus wept. He used to take, when it was too much, he would go to a quiet place. In today's world, was he depressed? We will never know. But there are some choice words that come out at me when I see those things. And like, he went to a quiet place. He went on a boat to a quiet place to reflect. Isn't that what we do now? Some wellness me time and all that. Isn't that what he was doing then? When his friend died, did he not cry like a baby? Did he not feel other people's pain? All of those things he did, we're doing them today. So thank you for doing the good Lord's work. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to say goodbye, but only for now. I guess it's more like see you later, right? And not goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to page one of many, many pages of Sharon Edwards' story her page on my book of suicide pages. This is Dr. Lulu. I got to go. I got to get out of here because I got to get someone else in. But thank you all so much for always being there, for being the winds beneath my wings. Listen to the podcast, share, download, subscribe, whatever word is out there. I will see you all later. I'm signing off now. Bye.